The last time that I was in uh, Hoover, Alabama was August of last year. And the reason it stands out is not, we, we don't really come to Hoover. We pass through this area a lot, but we stopped here to eat supper. And the reason we stopped here was because my son, uh, my youngest son got married first back in March of last year. And he preaches in Luverne, Alabama, just a couple of hours south of here. And so Hoover is literally like exactly halfway for both of us. So it's a good meeting point. And he and his wife had been to a funeral back where she's from over in Oxford, Alabama. And we had to give them some stuff. So it was like, we'll just meet up in Hoover. We'll eat dinner together. We'll get your stuff. Y'all go your way. We'll go back home. And so we did. We met up here. And that was August of last year. And about five days later, I woke up with a fever and body aches, and I knew immediately what it was. And I went and got tested, and I caught COVID. And so last time I came to Hoover, I got COVID. Uh, I'm hoping not to have a repeat of that. Uh, that was a rough week for me. That was a rough three weeks for my wife. She also got it. Now, I'll make a long story short. We got it from my son and my daughter-in-law because we knew we were going to be sick because about three days after we ate dinner together, they got sick and got tested. And they picked it up at the funeral and then eating, just eating dinner with them for one hour. And we picked it up from them. And so we all wound up with it. And it was pretty sick for a little while. And obviously we got better. And I don't mean to make light of it in any way or to trivialize because I know that people have lost folks. Maybe some of you have lost people because of COVID. Our congregation where I work with in Pleasant Valley, we've lost people this year because of COVID. So by no means am I trivializing it, but after we got over it, there was a degree of relief that, okay, we got it and we're over it. Because prior to that, from the March up to August in between, there was a lot of anxiety in that time period. Anytime you thought you maybe had been around somebody, any of y'all remember experiencing those emotions? You found out somebody that you knew you'd been around, and you found out, did you hear that John, he tested positive? And then immediately, you know that game you can play with people, you walk up to them and you go, are you feeling okay? You don't look so, your face is flushed. You seem a little clammy. You, you kind of feel warm. And you can make somebody who's well think they're sick if you get enough people to start talking about all the symptoms that they don't actually have. And, and it was kind of like that. Anytime you were around, anytime you had a tickle in your throat, do you remember sneezing or coughing or anything like that and immediately stopping and thinking, is it, this it? Do I have it? And especially early on when there was so little that we knew about it, it was kind of scary because you remember having that feeling of, is this how it's going to end for me? Is, is this it? There was a lot of anxiety last year. I know, I know we experienced it, if, if, even if it hadn't been anything about COVID. Listen, having two weddings in one year, that'll create some anxiety. And I even had a very little part to do with it. My wife carried the burden of most of the planning and preparation for, for some of that. So there's a lot of anxiety, though, around, around planning a wedding and getting everybody together and making everything go off like it's supposed to be. So you take last year, we have all collectively as a society had a lot of collective anxiety because of a pandemic. And then there are other factors that made it kind of a rough year as well. There was a lot of social unrest. There was civil unrest. 
there were shortages, you know, changes with people's jobs and with kids' school and having to shuffle things and do it all different. Last year was a tough year. And so, isn't it great to have a place where we can come in a session like tonight where we're going to look at this theme you're looking at for the summer of God's message to the church today. Isn't it wonderful to say, you know what, there's a place where we can come, walk away from all our cares, all of our fears and anxieties and worries, and come together in a community of faith with our family and sit down together with God's Word and find comfort and encouragement and hope and at least for a few minutes kind of get a break from all that other stuff. And then you show up here on Wednesday night ready to go and the first thing you hear is, be anxious for nothing. And so if you weren't anxious enough already, what about when you come into church and now you hear God saying through Paul, don't be anxious. Generally speaking, there's two types of people in this world. There are the people who do not worry about anything. That nothing just gets to them. Water off a duck's back. Things happen. They just roll with the punches. No big deal. They just, they just seem to have a way to not be affected even when they're surrounded by chaos. And then there are the people who worry about everything all the time. Now God's little joke on us is he has a tendency to put those people together, doesn't he? In the same home, in the same family, you have the ones that never worry and the people who always worry, and they got to figure out how to make that work together. I said to my mama one time, my mama would fall in the category of the always worrying category. Now historically, I've been in the don't really worry about anything category, but I found as I've gotten older and as I have children and you start to lose control as they grow up and get married and all these things going, I find myself leaning more into the worry category so I can relate, but my mama was always the worrier of the family. She would worry about things that nobody else would even think of to worry about. and She would stay up late and give herself ulcers and not be able to sleep and all that kind of stuff because of worry. And I told her one time, I said, Mama, you do realize that 90% of the stuff that you worry about never even happens. You know what her response was? See, it works. <laughs> well, that's, that's not exactly the point I was trying to make. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. A lot of activity. A lot of energy exhausted, but you don't get anywhere when it's over with. Now, the non-worriers, they go, yeah, that's exactly right. That's why I don't worry. What's the point of it? What's going to happen is going to happen. If I can control it, I'll do something about it. I won't worry about it. And if I can't do anything about it, why worry about it? It's just going to happen anyway. The worriers, on the other hand, it's not that easy. It's not like flipping a switch. And I won't do this to you tonight and ask you to raise your hand if you're a worrier. Be honest with you, I've talked about this enough times. I can kind of pick it out based upon facial expressions when they talk about these passages. But if you are a worrier, if anxiety is something that comes naturally to you and you're really good at it, when you read this passage, be anxious for nothing, usually what happens is now you have anxiety on top of anxiety. Because you're naturally a person who struggles with anxiety and now you're being told by your Bible, don't do that. And so now you have these feelings of, well, does this make me a bad Christian? Does this mean that I really am not a person of strong faith? Am, am I displeasing to God? Am I letting Him down? Am, am, am I wrong for doing this? I hope that tonight will leave you with a little bit more encouragement. Now, there's nothing I can do to take away your anxiety. It would be foolish to think that somebody could come in and talk for 30 minutes 
and change something that you likely wrestle with every day. You probably wish you weren't like that, but you don't know how to not be like that. And I want to suggest something to you. When God has Paul to say, be anxious for nothing, he doesn't say that, that statement's not made in a vacuum. It's not like he just says, okay, here's a checklist, do this, don't do that, do this, oh, and don't be anxious, and then he moves on. Now, sometimes we as parents, we do that, don't we? we you know, a child asks us something and we say, no. And what's the inevitable response? Why? And you know the inevitable response to that. Because I said so. In other words, I don't, I don't have to explain it to you. I don't have to tell you why. Just because I said so, that's good enough. Well, thankfully, God rarely does that with us. Usually, God, when He makes a statement like, be anxious for nothing, He gives us reasons why we can let go of our anxieties, as hard as it might be. Even more important, He gives us things we can do to work towards it. That's what I hope we can take away from tonight is leave here with something that you can use practically to help water down your anxiety a little bit. And notice I use that expression for a reason, water it down. If you're a person who struggles with anxiety, it's just something that you've all, you probably remember being a small child in kindergarten and having anxiety even that early. So it's not the result of failures, it's not the result of bad decisions, it's not some kind of moral deficiency on you, it's something likely that you were born with, this is who you are and how you are, and God made you the way you are, so you're not bad because you have anxiety. When God says be anxious for nothing, it's not like, okay, if you're anxious, then you're bad. No, it's more like, God doesn't want you to be anxious. He doesn't want you to struggle with anxiety because He knows that it causes you pain. And no loving father wants to see his children in pain. And so I would choose to look at Paul's statement more along the lines of an invitation to walk out of something, to lighten a load, to lessen a burden, that can sometimes make life very, very difficult and maybe even make life seem almost unbearable. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious. He gives us things we can do to water down that anxiety. Things that will help us maybe to not wrestle with it quite as much. So let's look at that together. Now, I want you to pick up with me in Philippians chapter 4. The passage we just started with, of course, is verse number 6. If you're using the King James, I actually do like the King James in this sometimes. Even though anxiety, is being anxious is, is a little clearer word, but I do love the King James language here. King James says, be careful for nothing. Now, of course, that can be misleading because when we say be careful, usually we're talking about being cautious. But if you look at the word itself and, and just kind of break it into its two pieces, you get, you get why this word was used. Full of care. In other words, you've been, you've been filled up with care. And have you noticed, if you're a person who wrestles with anxiety, that it has a tendency to be how anxiety is? Now, you've always got this underlying, what I'd call underlying baseline anxiety, this, this constant feeling of uneasiness. And that's really all anxiety is. It's feelings of uneasiness, feelings of dread, feelings of fear, feelings that something's just not right. And if you're a person who always struggles with anxiety, you have a baseline level of anxiety that even on your best days, there's always that little gnawing in your stomach or that voice way back in the very back of your mind that tells you, stay on guard, keep your antenna up, be careful. 
But you also notice that there are things that have a tendency to ramp up your anxiety. Now, by the way, all of us experience this. Even the people who aren't worriers, I promise you, if I got to know you well enough, I could put you in a situation where I could ramp your anxiety up. It's, it's human nature. We're made with these reactions. Like on the way down here, when we left the house, it's been raining all, the day, all day up there in Killam where, where we live, but we caught a break in the weather. It's like, great, it's going to be wonderful. Well, while I was filling up with gas, getting ready to head this way, and I have to cross over uh, uh, Joe Wheeler Dam in order to get here. And I'll be honest with you. I know that those are brilliant engineers who built that dam almost 100 years ago, but I'm, I don't like driving across the dam. And there's all this water right here and then it's way down deep over here. And I especially don't like it when I suddenly get a severe thunderstorm warning on my phone and know I've got to drive through this mess. At one point, my wife even told me, she said, relax, because she noticed that I was gripping the wheel kind of like this, arms locked, wheel, you know, fingers you know, white-knuckled around it, because it was stressful. It was heavy, heavy rain. There was heavy traffic. The wind's blowing. You can't see visibility's low. You put me in, you know, I'm generally not a person who is very anxious, but in that setting, yeah, I was. Now, you know what happened as soon as the storm passed and the conditions got clear and I got on this highway between where I live and Coleman and there's basically no traffic? It all just started coming down naturally. Now, for the anxiety people, you always have a baseline anxiety, but circumstances have a tendency to ratchet it up. So what can we do? One of the beauties of this text is that God doesn't just say, don't be anxious and then move on. God says, don't be anxious, and then he gives us some steps we can take to water down our anxiety. Now let's look at what those are. Beginning in verse number 6, be careful for nothing. Notice the next place, but, word of contrast, but, instead of being anxious, and there's a beautiful play on words in English here, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, you see, there's a play on Nothing and everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in every way, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So, okay, don't be anxious. Easy for you to say, Paul, you've never had to live through a pandemic where we had toilet paper shortages. Remember going to the, remember going to the grocery store and there's no toilet paper? What about a couple of weeks ago when we had this brief 48 hours of a gas shortage. And I saw people literally lined up. Everybody's filling up everything they got because they think we're not going to have gas. See how easy it is to ratchet up anxiety? doesn't take much for us to go from everything's okay to the world's coming to an end. What are we going to do? But God says, here's what you do. When you're struggling with anxiety, you ever notice sometimes just talking to somebody helps? Just sometimes being able to sit down and have a conversation with somebody and, and just kind of pour out your feelings. Tell them what you're going through. Get it off your mind. Unload your troubles. Sometimes just talking about things helps us to feel better. Now the funny thing is, usually it doesn't change anything. Whatever it is that had got us anxious before, it's still there, but having talked about it with a friend or a family member or maybe a spiritual advisor, you know, one of your elders, something like that, sometimes it just makes you feel better just to kind of get it out. 
My wife and I are very, very blessed in that one of our childhood friends, and still one of our closest friends, grew up to become a licensed professional counselor. And they are two of our closest friends in the world. And whenever we get together, we look at it as free therapy. We just kind of unload all the stuff that's built up and talk to her. And she's a great listener, obviously, and she's great at giving advice. Sometimes just having somebody to talk to helps. And so God says, look, instead of being anxious, let your requests be made known unto God. And he lists these three things, prayer, supplication, and he talks about thanksgiving. Prayer is just, that's all prayer is, is talking to God. Now we can give fancy definitions for prayer, these big, beautiful theological definitions, but at the end of the day, prayer is this simple. Prayer is when I talk to God. That's all it is. And it's so simple and so beautiful and so easy and so you know, available to us that even little children can do it. One of my favorite things about prayer is it doesn't even require the ability to speak to do it. That's important because sometimes in life we find ourselves in situations where we can't speak. As a minister, I spent a lot of times, a lot of time in nursing homes and hospitals through the years. And I've been at the bedside of a lot of people who have suffered from strokes and have lost the ability to speak. They haven't lost the ability to pray. Because you don't have to be able to speak to pray. You can speak in your mind, you can speak in your heart. And so one of the things Paul says on behalf of God is this. You want to deal with anxiety? How about you talk to God about it? Now, we talk to one another, and I'm not saying don't do that. In fact, that can be very, very helpful sometimes. But you know one of the things that frustrates me the most when people come and talk to me about their problems? I always welcome that. If you need to talk, talk to me. But more often than not, when people talk to me about their problems, most of the time I'm sitting there thinking, I can't fix this. I, I don't have the capacity. I don't possess the ability to solve your problem. I can listen sympathetically and I can tell you that I love you and give you a hug and we can pray together and, and maybe I can offer some advice. But you know, sometimes there are problems that people come to me with. I, there's nothing, nobody, there's nothing anybody can do to fix it. But I do know somebody who has the power to fix anything. No matter what the problem is, there is no problem too big for God to fix. What, what would you say is the biggest problem that a human can face? I would argue it's death. For everybody, death seems, it's always our it's worst case scenario. For example, when we found out we had COVID, I was very, very sick for three days, miserably sick for three days. But on day four, I started to feel better. I knew at that point, I'm not, I'm not going to die. And once I knew that, it was like, well, I still feel awful, but I feel better. Because that fear, that anxiety about that, that is this going to be, am, am I not going to be around for my other son getting married? Am I not going to be around for, you know, all these different things that start going through our minds when, we, when we're confronted with death? And as a Christian, listen, we're not afraid of death in the sense of what happens next. But let's be honest, there's still things that we want to participate in in this life. There's things that we enjoy that we want to be around for. And the thought of missing that, it creates anxiety. And there was a relief when it's like, okay, I know I'm going, I'm going to get better, I'm going to be okay. But you know what, even if worst case scenario happens, death. The one that I talk to can solve that problem. 
and he's done it on many occasions. I remember an old preacher used to, 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 used to use this expression. He said, Jesus can't go to funerals because he ruins them. Whenever he'd go to a funeral, the people would get up and, and come back to life. And of course, Jesus took up his own life. And what did Jesus promise? That, that one day, that he's going to call us forth from the grave. So I don't care what the problem is. Now, notice, I'm going to suggest something to you. I'm not saying that God will fix every problem that you will face right here, right now in life. But one of the beauties of being Christians is that we have this bird's eye view, this 30,000 foot view of life and all of its problems. And in light of what we know about eternity, in light of what we know about resurrection, in light of what we know about the eternal kingdom and the return of Jesus, in light of those things, even the greatest problems of life are insignificant when viewed from that lens. But when I'm right in the middle of it, it's really, really hard to hold that perspective. And so he says, in everything, talk to God with prayer, and then he uses this word supplication, and all that refers to as a specific type of prayer. Supplication is a prayer where you're asking for something. You know, Lord, will you, and then fill in the blank. Lord, I'm asking you. And so with anxiety, he says, look, talk to God and ask God for help. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for solutions. If nothing else, ask God for the strength to endure it. But then he throws in another word that's really important with this, and that is to do this with thanksgiving. One of the songs, I know y'all sing it. I don't think I've ever been in a congregation that doesn't sing it. When upon life's billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. What's the chorus say? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. By the way, Paul's going to stress that later on. I want you to drop on down for a minute to verse number 7. Excuse me, verse number 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, King James says, think on these things. It's a real neat word that he uses there that gets translated think. It, we would probably use the word inventory to talk about this. It's like an accounting term. When I was 12 years old, my first real job other than cutting grass was working in my Uncle Wade's hardware store. He owned a True Value hardware store in my hometown. And I went to work for him, and you know, I had to sweep up and stuff like that, but every so often we had to do inventory. Let me tell you something. Do you realize how awful it is to do inventory in a hardware store? You got a box of number seven, three-quarter inch pan head screws. One. Two, three, four. Somebody comes up, hey, do y'all have brooms? Yeah, they're over on aisle three. One, two, three. But that's what this word means. It means like to count it out, to name them one by one. Take inventory. One of the reasons that anxiety brings on these feelings of, of discomfort, of, of pain, of suffering, of fear, etc., is because what we're doing in those moments is we're taking inventory of every bad thing that can or is happening. We're taking an in, we're concentrating, we're thinking, we're counting out one by one. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, then what if, okay, if I do this, but then what if this? And naturally, yes, that causes our body to have this emotional response in some cases like we're actually experiencing these things. So one of the things he says, look, is, is go the opposite direction with those thoughts. 
Think about things that are true, honest, pure, lovely, joy-producing. And he says, sit and count those things out one by one. Count your blessings one by one. Think on these things. Meditate, concentrate, focus on. And isn't that what anxiety is about a lot of times as we just keep rolling these scenarios over and over in our mind? He says, look, okay, you're naturally going to do that. Just replace what you're rolling over and over in your mind with. Focus on these things. Water down the negative with the positive, even if it's nothing more. And a lot of times people think I'm being facetious when I say this, but I'm being literally serious. If this is what it takes, get out a sheet of paper. When you're having that moment of anxiety, when those thoughts are running out of control, and they're kind of like a snowball rolling downhill. Once they get rolling, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. If that's happening to you, literally, if necessary, take out your phone, take out a pen, a piece of paper, whatever, and start writing out one by one, line by line, all of the things that you're thankful for, all of the blessings that you do have in your life, all of the prayers that God has answered, all of the things that God has brought you through, all of the problems that He has solved, everything He's helped you to survive. Literally, just concentrate on those things. If you have to write it out, write it out. I'm not saying it's going to make anxiety magically disappear. But any parent knows that one of the best ways sometimes to get a child off of something you don't want them to do is get them on something you do want them to do. You ever had a little one, you know, they fall and they bump their knee and they just have an absolute meltdown like they just, you know, they're about to die. And you know good and well they're just sleepy or they're just wanting attention or they're just being dramatic. They're not, they're not really, they're not hurt. No loving parent would just kind of dismiss their child if they knew they were genuinely hurt. But sometimes we know you're not really hurt. I learned this from my wife. I watched her do it with our kids, with other kids, and, and it was, it's amazing. I learned, I was like, that works. She'd say, hey, let, let, me, let me show you something. She'd get them a pencil and a piece of paper, and she'd draw a picture and say, you draw me a picture. And the next thing you know, all those tears start drying up. And the next thing you know, they're laughing and having a good time. All she did was distract them from one thing to another thing. You want to learn how to be a good parent? Learn from God parenting tips. That's what God is doing here. He says, look, I know you struggle with anxiety, and here, I'm giving, instead of that, do this. Focus on this. Now, what's the result of it? Did you notice the words at the beginning of verse number 7 and then at the end of verse number 9? I, lo I love this. There there's literal bookends on these two passages. Verse number 7 says this. The peace of God, verse number 9 ends with the God of peace. They're, they're mirror images of one another. The peace of God and the God of peace. And those thoughts bookend one another. Now, what is it that comes in between those two things? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. So when I bring God my anxieties, my troubles, my worries, and I lay them at His feet, and I make those requests, and I offer up the thanks for the things that He already has done for me, what, this is what I give God. What does God give me in return? The peace of God which passes all understanding. King James says, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That phrase, peace that passes understanding. First of all, it sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, I want that. I want some of that. 
But I'm afraid we maybe misunderstand what he's meaning there. This peace that passes understanding, I don't think Paul is saying this is a peace that you can't comprehend. I think what he's trying to get across to us really is more along the lines of this is a peace you have to experience to understand. There are some things that you can understand by having them described to you. But there's some things that you can only understand by experiencing them. Nobody can describe it. Nobody can describe the feeling. Nobody can describe the sight. Nobody can describe the sound. Nobody can describe the taste. I can literally write you out a very detailed description of some delicious food. Tell you all the ingredients, tell you how to prepare it, talk about savory flavors and salty flavors. But you know what? I don't like reading about food. I like eating food. Just let me have a bite of it. And then you don't have to tell me anything. I get it now. I think that's what Paul reads. This is a peace that you have to experience to comprehend it. But you can. Now for those that wrestle with anxiety, you're thinking, man, I ain't known a day of peace in my entire life. There's always that underlying undercurrent. Try it. Try and see. Just try what God says and see. I firmly believe if God can speak to the dead and bring them back to life, that God can take my anxieties that I hand over to Him and exchange them for a peace that I've never known without Him. In terms of difficulty, I think raising the dead, I think speaking the universe into existence is far more complicated than exchanging pain for peace. And then I love the word that he uses. They'll keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The word keep there literally is the word used for a sentry, S-C-N-T-R-Y, like a guard, like a soldier who's standing guard like the soldiers that they put to guard Jesus' tomb when, when they were afraid that his body would be stolen. So they, they put some Roman soldiers there to stand guard over it. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He says, now, you do this. You bring your anxieties to God. You turn it over to Him in prayer, with thanksgiving, making your request. You flood your mind. You water down your anxiety with these thoughts that are good and pure and honest and joyful. And you do all of these things. What, what is the result? What do you get in return? The peace of God will stand guard over your heart. So when you have those invasive thoughts of anxiety, you have God's peace standing guard saying, you're not welcome here. We got this covered. Those things which you have both learned, verse 9, and seen and received and heard in me, he says, do them, and the God of peace shall be with you. I intentionally overlooked one part of this story. It's actually the very end of verse number five. Now, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a Greek translator. I don't know what I'm about to say to be a fact. I just know it's true. This phrase at the end of verse number five, should it go with verse number five or should it go with verse number six? I think contextually it should go with verse number six. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? The Lord is at hand. He's within reach. He's, he's, he's here. He's present. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. 
be anxious for nothing. See how that passage, that verse changes? Now, at the beginning, we started looking at it like it's just a command, like one of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Do not be anxious. And the people who wrestle with anxiety go, great, just another way that I'm failing God. But verse 5 changes everything. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. You don't have to be anxious about anything. Remember the night that the disciples were on the ship? There's the middle of the storm, the middle of the night, the middle of the lake. The waves are crashing. And they see something walking across the waves. And they cry out. That, pass, that always makes me laugh when I read that. These are some tough, seasoned fishermen. These are, these are not... You know, they're not office guys like me with soft hands, okay? These are tough dudes. And they cried out in fear. You, you ever been so scared you've screamed? You got to be pretty scared to scream out of fear. And yet they do. They think they've seen a ghost. They think they're going to die or some awful thing's going to happen. And then Jesus says, it's me. Don't be afraid. I'm here. You don't, have to worry. you don't have to worry about the storm. You don't have to worry about the waves. You don't have to worry about what you see. It's me. I'm here. Everything's going to be okay. Remember that time we didn't have anything to eat yesterday? And we had all these people, and they're all begging for food. And we, look, what are we going to do? There's nothing to eat. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. Send them away. Ah! And Jesus says, calm down. <laughs> Tell everybody to sit down. What do you got? This little boy's got some fish and some bread. Okay, give it to me. Now, give it to all them. Now we've got enough to feed everybody and we've got leftovers. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. It's me. Don't be afraid. The reason that we cannot be anxious is no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter the situation or circumstance, the Lord is at hand. You probably know this about the book of Philippians, but context means something. Paul wrote those words from prison. Really, you could say he's on death row in essence. And yet, that man said, don't be anxious for anything. That man who knew what he was facing, who's going to write to Timothy, all these people, they've all forsaken me, but he's going to say to Timothy what he's saying right here. But the Lord has not forsaken me. He's with me. So I don't have to be anxious. Earlier in the letter he says this. If I live, I live for Jesus. If I die, it's gain. I go to be with the Lord. What have I got to be anxious about? The Lord is at hand. In life and in death. If it's the case that you have anxieties, I hope that the next time that they're ramping up, you at least have a couple of tools to help you water them down just a little bit. I didn't ask this. This is awkward, I know. Do we close with an invitation and song, anything like that? Okay, we don't. Good. I'm sorry, I should have asked that beforehand. It's kind of unprofessional to wait till the end of the sermon to find out if we need to do that. Thank you all for letting us be with you tonight. I hope that this will give you some resources. I, it's not going to take your anxiety away but I hope it gives you resources to cope with it 
and water it down when it's running rampant. Thank y'all for having us.